BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his dues in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battles for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. So, I mean, I was doing it all myself. Presented by Crosley. Amplify your style. Here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in. Pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. Today's guest, your 2021 NASCAR Xfinity Series champion. With 120 races over four years, one win, a very important one. 72 top 10s and five poles in the Xfinity Series. In the Truck Series, 50 races over five years, 30 top 10s. In the NASCAR Cup Series, 38 races over two years, couple of top tens, pole, and your 2019 Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series Rookie of the Year. But, Mike, I want to take you way back. Let's let's follow uh, Daniel's journey here. And we've talked about this on the show before, how everybody's path is different and how the youngsters these days especially, they're getting in these go-karts and race cars when they're five years old, as was the case here. Go-karts at five, moved up to Bandoleros, the Legends cars, where he won back-to-back Legends Pro National Championships. He won the Legends Million at Charlotte Motor Speedway, winning the largest paycheck in Legends car history. Ladies and gentlemen from Kannapolis, North Carolina, Daniel Hembrick. Say hi to Mike Wallace. Hey there, guys. Yeah, <laughs> quite the uh, intro, to say the least, but I appreciate it. The path has been different, but uh, it's good to be sitting here with you guys today. Well, Daniel, thank you for being with us. And my gosh, you're a 
an overnight success, but you've had 20 years to get it done in. That uh, starting five years old, but uh, I, w I first of all want to congratulate you on that Xfinity Series championship. You had you were under a lot of pressure to win races, and not only did you win on the last lap, coming to the checkered flag, you won the championship. So congratulations there. And uh, from that point, Jeff, we all want to know how he got there. Though. Well, first of all, there are some racing hotbeds, right? I mean, there are some other good drivers that have come out of Kannapolis, North Carolina. I, didn't, I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't. Who, That's who, right. Okay. <laughs> and there are places like Owensboro. They all start with D, though. Right. <laughs> there, there are places like Owensboro, Kentucky. Okay, yeah. what is it about some places? Uh, and, and I'll give you a theory. I was... Uh, I was watching a race show one time, and the late Buddy Baker was posed that question. What is it about Owensboro, Kentucky, that are, there are so many good race cars from? He said, well, it's because when they're a baby, they're not given a rattle. They're given a steering wheel to chew on. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daniel Hemrick, you tell us how Kannapolis, North Carolina, created the uh, 2021 Xfinity Series champion. And the I'm still impressed because I was around you when you were, watched you win that win, that uh, Legends Million, as they called it then. Uh, yep. Tell us early in your career, how, what, what's the first recollection you have of uh, of racing, being even getting involved in it? Oh gosh, <clears throat> yeah, I'll tell you, it's uh, it definitely goes way back. Um, yeah, Alex like said five years old. I got in go karts, but I was that been between '95, '96 uh, for me, uh, 1995, 1996. You know, before strapping into a go-kart for the first time at a uh, little track there in Concord, it's called Concord uh, Motorsports Park. You know, I remember watching watching races with my dad, uh, with my family. Uh, you know, my dad never raced himself, but he was always just wide open on anything uh, with, with a motor and, and tires and wheels. It didn't matter if it's a dirt bike or, or what it was. Um, yeah, but, you know, watching the Bristol Night Race is probably my first, you know, recollection of racing as a whole uh watching terry labani and, and uh dale earnhardt go at it um yeah so for me that was kind of the bug um ended up being you know something that you know obviously liked and and, and thought it was exciting uh, but being so close to the hotbed like i said one of the hotbeds of our sports there in Kannapolis, you know it gave us opportunity to take a little yard cart uh, my uncle had a, a rototiller uh motor he took off uh, his garden supplies and and uh put it on this little yard cart and off the Concord, we went for my first race at five years old. So, um, you know, thank you for the congratulations on the Xfinity Series Championship. But, you know, you can't help but think about the, what you just asked me and how this all started, the path that it's been. Um, you know, but, you know, starting that yard cart at five years old was uh, – that was it for me. I knew right then and there, you know, how it was going to work out or what that path was, but this is what I wanted to do. And um, I like to think I spent, you know, every waking moment trying to think and dream what it would be like to – to get to the highest point of our sport i've been fortunate to do that and now trying to rebuild back to that but man whatever whatever journey has been well you've had an incredible journey uh i can i can i can say that i at least seen it from a distance most of the time when you were five years old and you, you got in that yard cart and i know it's hard to me it's hard to remember when you were five years old yes, or what your thought was yeah. right i can't six. remember what i had for dinner last yeah, night well, i'm not gonna remember yeah. that yeah well <laughs> see we're having to pry into the past because everybody knows the yeah. current but what, what do you think it was or do you have any idea what it was that made you really like racing that go-kart or, or running that go-kart however you want to say what what was the passion or was it that everybody was happy and having fun around you what, what motivated you you know, for me, you know, you talk about how hard it is to remember that stuff, but I remember very vividly, especially those early years of, 
the yard cars throughout. Well, hang on, you'll get as old as I am someday, and you won't say, you... <laughs> not quite well, as many years <laughs> between yeah, the yeah, two. Yeah. And you're racing with soft walls now. I did it for a long time without those. <laughs> That's right. Well, listen, I, I'm taking many of those hits without them too. But no, I'll tell you. So, um, you know, from the first time we rolled to a go, you know, go kart track together as a family, you know, I, it was in the back of a an old dodge pickup truck my grandmother let us use in a in an open trailer actually it was just the back of the truck initially and then we had the open trailer to go with it down the road and and i tell you i think what drove me then and continued to kind of fuel fuel me throughout my entire career um from those early go-kart days was the fact that it did not take me very long as a child to understand that what we were trying to do was very improbable with how we were having to do it and what i mean by that is you know we rolled in the racetrack in the means and the best we could with that, you know, truck or open trailer or even less than that at times. You know, it didn't, it was very obvious to look around and see that that's not how everybody raced. That's not how, you know, our next door neighbor at the racetrack that week, you know, with their 48 foot trailer and, and all the things that we all see, you know, current in, in our sport as it is like the way we had to do it, we did the best we could, but that, that was not the normal. Um, but being able to go and compete at that young early age and, and beat guys, and, and, you know, it's a family, family deal, obviously, at that level. But be able to compete and, and be able to experience, um, you know, success um, at such an early age with, with such little resources and, and whatnot, you know, that was always – that was such gratif- so gratifying to me as a kid. Um, and, I, and that's something I think that – that's what drove me. You know, that that's where the passion of being able to go do more with less. Uh, didn't know how much and how long of my career would be based off of that, but – uh, kind of find out been a lot based off that yeah so as you uh advance through your career there early on you raced out of the back of the pickup truck the yard cart what was the next progression what kind of car cart did you progress on from that original yard cart yeah i'll tell you so um in the middle of the yard cart day i was actually racing some dirt bikes at the same time so the, the first kind of t in the road was um trying to figure out okay four wheels or two wheels and obviously went four wheels and for the longest time, my dad said I messed up. He said I was better at the two wheels. That was four wheel stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, so I was in a go kart though up until I was eight, eight or nine. Um, I guess it depends on which birth certificate you look at. But <laughs> during those years, yeah, you got two birth uh, certificates. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, exactly, exactly. Whatever it took to get in a racetrack. And for many years, I was I was racing underage for for what I was supposed to be. But I'll tell you. Um, you know, about nine years old, uh, we're, I was racing against buddies. And, you know, like I said, that they had a lot more means to race with. And they started racing these things called bandoleros. And they were in it for about a year. My dad and I would go and uh, check them out and, and watch them and help them and just be there and uh, just see a different side of racing. Um, and when we did that, you, know, you couldn't help it. You know, my dad was very excited about it. You know, this is a little bigger car being a bandolero. And, um, eventually made a deal with them to, to where we could have our own. Uh, that was the next step for us. Uh, you know, jumped in the Bandolero, and within that first probably eight to ten race stretch, we realized everything we thought was expensive in go kart racing just tripled. And uh, <laughs> and uh, realized if we were over our skis initially in the go karts, we've really outdone ourselves here. And I tell you, we 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 managed to get by with some support from you know local businesses and whatnot, but. At the end of the day, you know, about two years into that, now I'm 11, 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, through that time frame, we had no business being there. I mean, we're I'm bending an axle every time I go on the racetrack, and then you're out of the car for two or three months, and you jump back in, and, well, now everybody you haven't been racing with for two or three months has developed and got better, and it just became a huge uphill battle um, to the point to where my dad said, hey, man, 
uh, I don't think you really cut out for this. He <laughs> says, I know financially, I know financially we're not. And he actually, this is a true story. A lot of people don't know this. He, uh, he ended up selling all my stuff. He sold my bandoleros. Um, the funny thing is, uh, you know, just a little backside of this story. My parents are separated. So my mom's father, my grandfather said, well, you're, you're not going to sell it out from underneath. I'm going to buy it from you. So actually my grandfather bought out my father <laughs> and he took me bandolero <laughs> racing. My grandfather and my uh, stepdad at the time, they kind of took over the role of car owner. And, um, yeah, that's, that's the path I was on up until, um, up until I was, I guess, 15. And I first got my first got a legend car opportunity. So when you're racing the bandoleros, are you at the summer shootout series and whatnot at Charter Motor Speedway or elsewhere? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, if you're going to race, you know, being in that area, the summer shootout was the only place to be. And we would go and, well, with a smile on our face, get our tails kicked every single week we were there. Um, but eventually, you know, you, you get to where we were able to win races and, and compete. But, you know, nowhere near – we just couldn't we just couldn't physically run as many races we wanted to run or need, or need to be running, to be honest with you. But, you know, yeah, it was Daniel, all around Charlotte, Concord, I, everywhere else. I ran Legends cars for about five years, so I've seen that movie. <laughs> about, <laughs> about getting your you butt, well. butt, butt kicked every Tuesday night, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know Daniel, I don't well. know if you remember back in the day, Jeff was part of the the Fox radio network. Yeah. Right. So, so, he, so my legend's and, car was the ninety nine point seven Fox. I remember car. very well. Yeah. yeah. So yep. see, you're a hero. You you were his <laughs> yeah. hero. He was looking up to you. Yeah. I remember. Exactly. I remember. I remember racing out there and, and the likes of um, Reed Sorensen, yep. uh, Clay Hare. Right, racing in the pro series and whatnot, and we, you know, in practice, everybody runs together. So I'd see him coming up in my mirror, and I'd, I'd, I'd let him on. I, 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 yeah, Cotton's Cotton's I'd let him by, and then just try to hang with him. Yeah. And I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. Yeah. yeah, here we are talking about your championship. But at the same time, so Dad said, "Hey, you're not cut out for this." And he's going to sell you. Now, did you? Did he tell you he was going to sell your stuff out, or did Grandpa I, and him just make a side deal? And you really didn't know no, that was I, really happening. I knew. I knew. I knew we couldn't financially afford it. Okay. And I knew. Um, I didn't know necessarily if we were selling it and going to just go back to the go kart thing because we thought we could. We at least won and had success at that, and we were had enough support at that time from you know from winning. The other people wanted to help you, right, with tires and motor builds and chassis and stuff, and. I didn't know if that's what was happening, and but in the, the day as a kid, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm done. That's it. We'll go kart racing. That's my calling. Like you know, you're, like I said, ten years old. Um, but when my when my grandfather, you know, I won't say they were always on the best of terms. My father, my grandfather, you know, my mom's dad. Uh, but I think he more or less like, no, you, you, you know, this kid's trying hard. You're not you're not getting rid of all this stuff. So I think uh, it was getting sold whether my grandfather bought it or not. So I'm fortunate my grandfather is one that ended up with. It. How about that? There you go. Well, that's great. When you were when you were that ten year old kid running at Bandolero, and we just got a couple minutes left in this session here, but did you feel you were something special? Did you realize you weren't the average ten year old kid that was playing with their bike and stuff like that at home? That you were out there racing? Did you realize that at that time? Honestly, no. Honestly, no. I, I was. I knew. I knew. Like I said, it was more more evident then than ever that what we were trying to do was very obvious. Was less than what you had to have. Not not necessarily. You weren't necessarily going to just out talent everybody at this level, right? And so you get beat down enough at that level, you realize that, hey, um, you know, it's pretty obvious to me I wasn't very good at it. But there came a time about <clears throat> two years later where I did realize something different um, when I got my first opportunity to drive a legend car. Uh, but in the Bandolero days, no, it was an uphill battle, man. It was always, 
it was always something, but I had some eye-opening experiences along the way in the, the year or two that followed the Bandolero that kind of gave me some hints like, okay, I might be able to do a little something different with this stuff than, than most. And, uh, yes, look forward to telling that part. Well, just hang on there, Jeff. Where are we going to go right now? Well, we're going to take a break right here, but when we come back, all right, let's 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 move from the Bandoleros to the Legends cars. Let's talk about Jeff's who- got a big smile on his face over here about them Legend cars. He <laughs> loves, that's his I, world right there. I man. miss that stuff, man. I really do. <laughs> it, was, it was fun. Daniel, I kind of became a big deal in the radio business, and after about five years, I couldn't get out of work early enough to make it to the racetrack. <laughs> that's so. a good problem to have. <laughs> all right, we'll be back in a second. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. If you're having trouble finding a unique gift for that race fan on your Christmas list, check out SpeedSportStore.com. There you'll find vintage-style T-shirts in all sizes, poster-sized cover art from the magazine, collectibles you won't find anywhere else, and much more. The quality merchandise is hand-selected and carefully designed to reflect the values and style of the SpeedSport brand. For the holidays, get 20% off purchases of $25 or more. Surprise the race fan you know with something unique from SpeedSportStore.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Uh, today's guest from Kannapolis, North Carolina, your 2021 NASCAR Xfinity Series champion, Daniel Hemrick. And now, from high atop the pit box, inside the Crosley Speed Sports Studios, I give you Mike Wallace. What an introduction to I the second the part. I love it. Yeah, I, we're looking down on everybody here. I love it. So, Daniel... <laughs> We have a <laughs> Jeff's Jeff's having a day here. He's enjoying himself. We got talking legend cars, and he got all jacked up here. But uh, so you said that the Bandolero cars were a little rough, and then you got an opportunity to go legends racing, or got to tell us about the legend cars. Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you. You know, I got the legend car opportunity because um, my stepfather and people that typically help us they couldn't come to help me at a Bandolero racetrack one weekend, um, and. There's a time frame in there where I've been suspended for motor stuff. We couldn't have, we couldn't afford to have stuff rebuilt, so we so tried doing cheated. ourselves. <laughs> well, no, listen, you uh, weren't caught in it. <laughs> I can uh, know. Well, I'm trying to be humorous. To trying to be humorous here. Uh, uh, that's right. That's right. No, we, we literally couldn't afford the motor uh, bill for what you know. Inex is sanctioned. They got to rebuild the motor. We couldn't afford it, so we had somebody else do it, and it, all the parts and pieces passed, but the seal broke one day. So that was automatic suspension, right? So I found myself on the outside looking in a lot from about 12 to 14. Um, years old for myself, but when I got back into it um, and we were able to race again, my, like I said, they couldn't get a horse tape to the racetrack, and uh, I had a guy named Tim Latiga, and uh, Tim Latiga was a family friend of ours, and at that time, he was working at Hendrick, working on uh, Jimmy Johnson's uh, cup car, his pit crew on Sundays, and um, he ended up being the guy to tap in to help take me to the racetrack that weekend, and which is an incredible blessing in disguise. I look back on it now because Every time I went on the racetrack, the chain fell off, and he just saw kind of what I was racing with, if you will. And he, he, we finished up that day. I can't remember how we finished, but he says, listen, I'm done with this. He's like, I got to give you something, you know, a little better quality of drive. You need to be racing a legend car. And he goes and sells his, uh, I can't remember the exact year, but it was a beautiful blue uh, Mustang GT. He sells it, sells one of his pride and joy uh, four-wheelers he had a ton of money in. He took that money and bought me a legend car. Well, now here I am with my first official car owner, nobody in my family, and uh, I'm 15 years old. And um, here we are. We're off legend car racing. That's how that's how I got into that to that discipline of it. That's literally because he, by for- misfortune, ended up having to go to the racetrack with me one day in a Bandolero and saw what I was driving. So 
I was thankful for that. And from then on, it was, you know, okay, now this is your job. You're driving for another family. Um, you got That's when the work really, really started for me as far as having to really dive in and understand what made the cars tick and, and um, really a, a started driving a different passion for me as far as uh, what all goes into getting to the racetrack. As you were learning that stuff, Daniel, and this is a lot of uh... – like you really hit on for me because there's a lot of kids that want to race but don't understand what goes into racing did you get to where you were working on your own car and knew the integral parts of it or were you just still driving it and this other gentleman owned it no absolutely so i I ended up um you know through my time driving for latica which progressed on to me driving for many other guys and legend cars over time but they eventually got to where um short of putting the front and rear clips on them um i was you know doing it all myself obviously there's times where um, I, I never wired a car, to be honest with you. That's about the only thing I never tapped into was electric stuff. Um, but front to bottom, you know, top to bottom of the cars, I would I would put together myself and set them up and, and go through the process over and over to the point to where, heck, there's a point where we're working on 10 or 11 different customers' cars a week, you know, myself setting them up and going through the promotions of that's how I was making a job and that's what was, you know, that was, uh, that was my living and my food on the table during the week um, as well as keeping these customers happy. Oh, and racing my own car getting it ready on the side right so yeah i mean i think that me having to get that understanding of it i'm thankful for because that transition with me all the way to today's highest ranks of wanting to know what makes the cars go and, and how to actually how to make the changes and, and, and the differences between every vehicle so back up just give me the age when you're working on those, all those customer cars and at what age were you yeah so that i got my first like i said first start in electric cars when i was about 15 um and i and i stayed on that path until i was 19 um I think I won the Legends Million in 2010, uh, so that would have been yeah, I've been uh, right 19 years old. So um, yeah, in between that time frame, obviously I had to develop and grow and and open my knowledge of that particular car. But yeah, that was that's what I did, man. I, I like to think I, I think I actually worked on your son's Legend car once or twice. I, I uh, believe you did. I mean, uh, that's why I'm asking. I, I just love the uh, the age part and how much you put into it. And, was that your own program? I mean, were people hiring you, or was it being hired through someone else at that time? Were you working for someone, or? Just... Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So uh, the guy I actually drove for, who owned the cars I drove, was uh, a guy named Hoyt Demas, which is incredible because he now he was in champ at Phoenix for the championship weekend, hugging me on the start finish line, right? So that was super special. Um, it, he owned the cars, and we worked out of uh, Dan Snyder's shop. It was based out of Mooresville, and you know Dan and I ran together for. Uh, I guess 2008, 2009, 2010, we were together full-time legend cars. And he's the one with the customer base. He's the one that had, you know, we had probably 30 or 40 customer cars throughout the country that we would work on or give set of advice over the phone or whatnot at times. So um, over my time of Hoyt owning my cars and me driving for, you know, out of Dan Snyder's shop, you know, my deal with them was, listen, we're going to pay you 300 bucks a week. Um, Hoyt owns the cars, and when Dan has customers' cars in here, we can get all of those ready, and then you can work on your car. So that's – he had to teach me his process and his ways. I eventually got to where he would be in the back cutting all the tires, and he would tell me what he wanted a car to look like and, and be set up-wise, and, and I would be the guy implementing it. So now, Wait a um, minute. I thought cutting tires was illegal. No, no. But back then <laughs> – well, listen, I'm not sure. Back when you were doing it, That man, was soaking that tires, was soaking ago. tires. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so Daniel, you won the Legends Million. Here's a here's a question out of left field, at Charlotte yep. Motor Speedway. What'd you do with the money? Did you put it in the bank? Did you pump it back into your Legends cars, or did you go buy yourself a badass car? 
<laughs> that's a great that's a great question. I'll tell you this, uh, because if you ran the summer shoot on Tuesday night, you knew what the, the purses were. Heck, if you ever finished in the money, I'm not sure, but <laughs> I won. I, don't listen. To, no, all right, all right. I, fair enough. Touche. Hey, <laughs> Jeff Kent won one feature, one feature, and for that, I received go. a check for a hundred dollars. Okay, so, you know, so Jeff my Kent, point exactly. Do you know that one feature win is more than a lot of people have? Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's yeah. Exactly right. No, so but they you know. With that, that being said, you said a hundred bucks, right? So I told you these guys are paying me three hundred bucks a week to you know, work 20 hour days and whatnot and go race on the weekends. And, uh, I agree. And I have people paying the bills for the cars. Um, and we got to split all my earnings, myself and Dan Snyder, our owner at the time, Hoyt Demas, he let Dan and I split all the winnings. So I say all that because when they announced this legends million, we had to, my first real contract I'd ever seen was, all right, listen, if we do somehow lucky in to win this thing, we, we got to figure out what we're doing with this, right? This isn't your typical $300 win feature purse. Um, so we split it three ways, hundred percent, three ways. It was uh 33% to Dan Snyder, 33% to me, the other 33 to the guy paying the bills. And that was Floyd Demas. And, um, for quick math for you, that's 83 grand a piece because the race paid 250,000 to win million dollar purse. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I had a little 1995 Honda Civic at the time. I made a very, very <laughs> irrational decision and bought a used BMW, um, <laughs> taught me cost me yeah, 14,000. Come on, yeah. dude. You got to go, go Ford 14. or Chevy or something. <laughs> I know, I'm just telling you, listen, well, we're, we're giving that's you That's when you're loaded right with cash that. right now. You know, 80 grand, he's got to spend. That's right. Yeah, so 14 grand, I bought me a BMW, and I put the rest in the bank. But I'll tell you, um, I had an opportunity to meet with Bruton Smith at his office down there at the car dealership uh, about three weeks after that race. And, uh, to me, now I'm sitting here with $65,000 still I've never had in my life. And, um, I asked Bruton, I said, man, I you know, how do I make this live? How do I make this grow? Cause to me, this is an incredible fortune. Um, what do I do here? And he says, boy, he says that money, <laughs> he said, you just enjoy every bit of it. Cause if one day it's all going to be going either way. So whatever you do with it, enjoy it. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you, I ended up hanging on to it and ended up being, you know, my first little nest egg and I uh, was able to get me by for the next little bit. Well, that's outstanding. That, that was quite a memorable time in, in, in legend car history. I remember all the hype around that. And, and yep. you're the first winner, and uh, probably it was the only winner. I don't know if they ever did that yep. race again or not. But uh, So you put the money away, and now you're Daniel Hemrick, Legends Million winner. And where do you progress on from there? You're, you're basically the, you're the big guy in the Legends world right there. There's nothing yep. better at that point. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. So from there, um, you know, I talked about the customer's cars. I was working on the side there with Dan Snyder's shop and uh, a guy named uh, John Boland. And uh, did I say that right? Jeff Boland. Jeff Boland. And um, he was a customer who had, he had his own little construction business. He just raced for fun. It's just a hobby for him. And he wanted to go run some late models for fun. And he started telling me about this guy who was putting a car together for him. And the guy's name who was putting the car together was uh, Jeff Foltz, which many of you <laughs> Many Foltz, of you he's probably a star, man. Before. Yeah, yeah, and I, I tell you, Foltz has been such an integral part of my career, my development, and um, that's kind of where that's kind of where the next chapter for me went. I uh, literally pulled into Foltz's shop on a random Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon after working in the Legend Car deal, and I said, "Hey, man," I said, uh, "I said, uh, Bolin wanted me to come by here and and uh, introduce myself." Told him my name, and he said, "Yeah, I've been expecting you." And I think um, he was running out to do something. I'll never forget this. Jeff says, or Foltz says, uh, hey, is a guy coming to pick this tungsten up? Do me a favor. Strip this paint off this tungsten. He's buying it from me, and uh, we'll see you when we get back from grabbing a bite to eat. Well, that was, like I said, Tuesday or Wednesday, and then uh, when he gets back, he said, hey, good job. Uh, do you want to go down with me to the Blizzard Series race to, to help us work on some cars? And I had no idea because I was always completely 
consumed with whatever discipline I was in at that time. And I didn't notice until I looked back on it, but I was legend car racing. That was it, right? But now here I am. This guy wants me to go to this Blizzard Series deal, which those that don't know, it's a, it's a huge super late mall uh, program. Runs about 10 races a year between uh, Pensacola, Florida, where the Snowball Derby's ran, and uh, Mobile, Alabama. You go down there and practice on Thursday nights. You race Pensacola on Friday and Mobile on Saturdays. And I jump in the van with Jeff Foltz and his guys, and here I am going to my first late mall event to be a crew member. And that's that's what kicked off my relationship on the late mall side. That's what, um, you know, the odds and ends of having to learn legend cars in the past kind of helped me be somewhat, um, you know, re- not somewhat, really in tune with parts and pieces of the cars. However, I'd never seen a sway bar in my life. I'd never seen adjustable shocks. But it let me um, really dive in know how close of attention I needed to pay. And uh, Jeff kind of walked me through the ropes. I kept a little notebook between him and his guys when they would make changes and what did what. When you adjust this, it does this. And um, didn't know how important those notes would be to me as I would later that year get my first opportunity to drive a straight rail, a, a late model during a past race at Orange County Speedway. And um, yeah, it was a special time. I didn't realize my life was changing, but it was changing fast because of that Legends Million. So uh, I'm intrigued by that. You, when you were with Fultz and you went to the Blizzard deal, you were saying, were you, you said you were taking your own notes, keeping your own little yeah. notebook. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Well, I didn't, I didn't have a choice. I was never smart enough to really retain knowledge. So I had to, <laughs> had to keep up with my, keep up my own notes. Um, yeah, I, it was just funny. Like I said, it was just so different to me. And I was so intrigued with, like I said, the different parts and pieces that made that car go versus all I'd ever known really at that point, right? It was ledger cars. So, uh, yeah, understanding how a sway bar worked, understanding the, how it wraps up and how it changes the balance and platforms of the cars, all the little things, right. That they go into this new form of car to me, um, I didn't know if it was going to pay off knowing that stuff or not. Um, but as it turned out, you know, there came a time about a year and a half later, two years later, that I got thrown in a position that, hey, you can drive our car. And this was um, a transition point for me uh, for a team down the Woodstock, Georgia. They had had one driver running their super late model for 10 years, and the guy just wanted to get out. And um, they needed somebody capable of working on their car and hanging their bodies and really running the whole program as far as, getting it ready for, for every week. And uh, if I hadn't had that knowledge from Fultz, I could have never pulled it off and jumped in that role and played and played mechanic and driver. And uh, that saved me for that time in my life. Who, who was that you drove for? Who was that opportunity with? Yeah, that was uh, Jake and Deanna Carswell. Um, Carswell Motorsports, they're based out of Woodstock, Georgia. Um, and everybody knows their cars in the past as being very, very similar to Jody Ridley's old 98 blue cars, white racing stripes. Okay. Um, yeah, they had actually bought all their stuff in Jody Ridley back uh, mid, I'm sorry, I guess in the early 2000s. And um, they really raced for a hobby. It was just a family thing to them. But, you know, for me, it was the first place I went and drove their late model. And at the end of the night, they cut me a check for some winnings. And I thought, well, hell, I can almost do this. And this is this is a good living. They just paid me to drive their race car. <laughs> uh, but it, re- it required me to be in Georgia, um, you know, three or four days a week to prepare a car for races. And um, all that past stuff that I'd been through, um, having to build and work on and just kind of be immersed in it on all forms, you know, that prepared me for that moment and ready to seize that moment to go drive for those folks and prepare their cars. You know, a lot of people think Pensacola, Florida, they think beach, 
right? There's some serious rednecks down there, boy. Well, you, and I always said you don't really get to Florida till you get down, I don't know, around Orlando, down that area. Pensacola might as well is, be part of Georgia. I'm just saying. Pensacola is the uh, you know the hub of the Snowball Derby and the Blizzard Series and the Snowflake. It's it's the most famous place right now for short track racing. But well, come, I, I let's come back in, and talk about some more of that. I grew up in Georgia. They call it the Redneck Riviera. Okay. All right. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. If you're having trouble finding a unique gift for that race fan on your Christmas list, check out SpeedSportsStore.com. There you'll find vintage-style T-shirts in all sizes, poster-sized cover art from the magazine, collectibles you won't find anywhere else, and much more. The quality merchandise is hand-selected and carefully designed to reflect the values and style of the SpeedSport brand. For the holidays, get 20% off purchases of $25 or more. Surprise the race fan you know with something unique from SpeedSportsStore.com. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Today's guest from Kannapolis, North Carolina, your 2021 NASCAR Xfinity Series champion, Daniel Hemrick. Take it away, Mike. Boy, Daniel, I bet it won't, will never get old being introduced that way, will it? The Not champion. ever. Yeah. <laughs> Not ever. But if I can go back just for a second, I'd love to, the comment for the people you were driving for in Georgia because you mentioned mentioned the name Jody Ridley. And a lot of people in today's world don't know Jody Ridley, but he was famous uh, asphalt and dirt racer. He grew up in Georgia. He, uh, along with it, was a cup driver. He won a race for Junie Don Levy at Dover, Delaware. Uh, the only time Junie ever ever won a race, so uh, you were you were stepping into uh, a very prestigious named equipment, or, or from a very prestigious driver of Jody Ridley. Oh, absolutely, that that was special, right? Um, you know, I talked about being immersed in whatever discipline it was. I was into that time always, but you know, as soon as I jumped into that car, I've been around a late mile scene enough to to hear of Jody's name, to hear of the history, to hear what a legend he was amongst all forms of our sport. Um, and whether people knew what was going on in the background to prepare those cars, that doesn't matter to them, right? What matters to them is, you know, that car and that paint scheme were iconic, and they were they were associated with winning. And I needed to make sure we kept up that reputation. So yeah, it was it was very important to me to get in that car and run well and have it prepared. And, and did you run well in that car? We did. I tell you, I uh, <laughs> it's funny. I, I remember I pulled up their shop the first night. Um, we had to have it ready in two days and. The, they had put a one fill-in driver in for the past weekend, um, but they knew he wasn't their full-time guy. And there's a lower control arm stuck to the oil pan. There's no no body on this car from the windshield bed forward, no ductwork or nothing. And um, I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, what have I got myself into? And that guy, Hoyt Demas, I talked about earlier, all my legend cars, he actually bought the first set of tires for that car to get them to put me in it. And he's sitting there beside me. I thought, he has really got me some stuff here. But I tell you, you asked if we ran well in it. I remember unloading for the first practice after – working two days straight getting that car ready and went straight to you know top two or three on the board and ran second or third i think to bubba pollard and all grill that weekend at gresham motorsports park and that started a long-term relationship with those folks that you know we went on to win over 20 super late mile races together some pretty prestigious ones um together and um to this day they're family to me oh wow that's outstanding so just keeping people in the loop who was hoyt how did he what did he do i know he owned your legends car and then he's down there with you in that late model well, what did he do to uh, for a living, or did he own a race team, or just a buddy of yours? <laughs> well, he ended up owning a race team, whether his wife knew he did or not. That was always yeah. questionable. <laughs> no, I, I'll tell you guys, you know, he was actually well before the late models. I told you about the legend cars. You know, um, there was a time in my life where I was in between teams racing legend cars, and 
um, you know, way prior to the late models. And when I got that deal to go run out of Dan Snyder's shop, I only got that because Hoyt raced himself. And he's, you know, as we speak here today, he's 56 years old, but he was running the master's class. And he still had a huge passion for racing, but his businesses were, uh, uh, you know, they were around commercial painting and wall covering, right? So painting interiors and exteriors of hospitals and hotels and all that stuff. But he loved racing. And um, when he made that deal with me to come drive for him, I'd been down to Orlando Speed World just running the guy's car for a week that I had no ride when I was getting home from racing this week. And he said, hey, when we get back, so I'm going to buy your car. You can work for Dan Snyder. You're going you're gonna, to, I'm going to pay all your bills racing. You're going to drive for me. And I thought. This guy, come on. We've all heard this before. <laughs> and um, I, I guess I'd have been 17 at the time when that happened. And uh, sure enough, we got back. Phone call rang on Monday. And we went and picked out a car. And that started a relationship. And to this day, he's a father to me. And, and um, yeah, he's just been my, a huge advocate for me. So uh, when I going back to where we were talking about, the late model program, you know, he just wanted me. He, he had raced long enough, well before I knew him, that for whatever reason, he always said he saw something different in the way I went about it. And so he would always push for me, whatever, uh, whatever uncomfortable situation it was, he'd say, Hey, just give the kid a chance. So him calling the cars wheels there, that late mall team based out of Georgia and saying, Hey, I'll buy, I'll buy the first couple set of tires just for you to give him a shot. If you give him a shot, you're going to buy your own tires for him because you're going to keep them. And sure enough, that's the way it worked out. Oh, wow. What a great story. What a great guy to have in your corner along the way. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. So you, uh, you drive the cars well, you do really well there and the story is your life where does it progress at from there you come do you move back from georgia come back to the carolinas or do you stay in georgia so, what's the next step yeah so that whole time you know i i was just driving back and forth never moved down there but you know i'd go and stay in their house for a couple of days at a time and get ready for whatever event was coming up and it was a full-blown you know family deal for us i had you know that guy hoyt i told you would come down and actually help me work on the cars i needed somebody to help pack bearings up my wife kenzie she's been in there many many sleepless nights helping uh helping clean the cars and pack bearings getting ready for events and mm-hmm. i tell you now you know i drove for them you know up until i was you know 21 22 23 and i thought well by now now i'm i'm getting paid to, to drive race cars for a living right that's that's your hope is to never have a real job and it wasn't and that's the way i treated it but i'd also got to a point where i thought that's what i was gonna do the rest of my life um i was fortunate enough to be established on that particular side of things in the super late model world that you know we had people supporting us and helping us and i had decided like that was probably gonna be what i was gonna do um and, and then then the turn to events that really kind of got me where i'm at here today is uh down in gresham motorsports park again uh, middle of the summer getting ready for the world crown 300 during practice and i'm sure all racers know this you know you don't want anybody looking at your cars especially your competitors right so you keep everything secret and i'm out there working and i was inside the trailer and i see this one guy walking behind my car nonstop. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? I finally walk out and I said, can I help you? He introduces himself. He says his name is uh, J.R. Longley. And uh, he works for uh, a guy named, uh, a race team, a NASCAR team called Sharp Gallagher Racing. And Sharp Gallagher Racing uh, starting a development program and they're interested in me coming to talk to him. I'm like, all right, here is one of these deals again, right? We've all heard a lot of this. Come to find out, Sharp Gallagher, obviously the Sharp is Eddie Sharp and this guy Hoyt I talked about actually sold Eddie Sharp a legend car about 15 years prior to this, you know, unbeknownst to me. So I asked Hoyt if he'll go sit in a meeting with me back in uh, North Carolina and we finish up this weekend in Georgia. And he said he would do it. And we get there and we start talking. Next thing you know, they're going to offer me a job to work in their, uh, in their NASCAR shop. You know, they run a truck, ARCA, building a late mile stock program. And they wanted me to just kind of be there for support of their late mile stock program to, 
help in the shop wherever I was needed. And I could still go run my late model for the people at Georgia or wherever on the weekend. So it seemed like a win-win for me, right? I'm going to get paid to work in a shop, my first real job. And I want to get to go race. This is great. Life is perfect. What I didn't know at that time was the other part of that race team name, uh, Gallagher. Um, I was working on, uh, his name is Bill Gallagher. I was working on his son's late model stock and going to the racetrack and testing them. And then the kid, and he would get in them. And he's a little older than I am. I call him a kid. He would get in them and be like, okay, yeah, they're fine. Well, we did that for a certain amount of time. And, um, you know, they were sponsored by Chevrolet and had support from, uh, ECR, you know, Richard Childress engine shop there in Welcome, North Carolina. I had a relationship with Austin and Ty Dillon growing up and, um, they said, Hey man, would you have any interest in, in running a truck in Martinsville? I said, well, are you kidding me? That's, that's your life on goal. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I call Austin and Ty up. They get pop pop as they call them. They're Richard Childress to give me a motor for the weekend at Martinsville. Uh, the Carswells that I drove for out of Georgia pitched in some money, some other kids, parents that I'd helped along the way. Um, Heck, there was one kid named Trip Gerald. I'll never forget this. His dad is a high up at Valvoline. They pitched in some money for the hood on the truck. Uh, Jack Link's Beef Jerky that time had sponsored my late mob program. They pitched in a bunch of like four or $5,000 sponsors. Here I am off to make my truck start at Martinsville. And I never knew how important that day was. Um, I mean, I knew how important it was, but what kind of turn of events it would be for my career because I go there thinking this is an incredible once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Transmission breaks on lap three, and I'm out. That's it. I'm thinking, well, that this is a great part of my life, but it's over with. I get a phone call, or I say I got a phone call. Um, the other name of that, of Eddie Sharp still, Gallagher. Bill Gallagher calls Eddie Sharp on Monday says, man, I feel really bad about what just happened to that kid. Um, get that truck back ready. Let's bring him to Phoenix on, on our dime. And that's what they did. And that put me in contact face-to-face with Bill Gallagher for the first time. And I'm not sure if I, it's the time to go into what happens next, but – you know, at the time, I told you I'd been working on those kids' late models and whatnot. Fast forward a year later, and um, actually, I got to back up here. That race shop ended up closing down that December of 2013. And I thought that was it. I go back to running my late model program. So, so Eddie, Eddie Sharp and Gallagher closed their deal up? They closed their deal up in the 13. Mm-hmm. That's a very integral part of it. I forgot about it until I'm speaking about it, obviously. But, Funny story. Uh, I, I sponsored Eddie Sharp myself one time when he ran a late model car. No kidding. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. How about Eddie, that? And then Eddie bought my brother Kenny's house. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So uh, we small all go. Small world. What? Small small world, as they say. All right. Small I'm, world. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt there, but I did. You're fine. You're fine. Yeah, so. <laughs> so <laughs> my show. <laughs> well, That's your exactly show. right. <laughs> we can interrupt who we want, right? I love it. I love yeah. it. Hey, well, let me tell you. So that, that shop closes down, and I go back to my late model program, running for the Cars Wheels and running odd and end events all over the country. And I'm back to being that late model guy, right? And I'm fine with that. I was content with that. You could scrap and claw and make a living doing it. Um, Will Gallagher goes on and runs some super late models for a couple guys. And one of the teams he goes and drives for is, is uh, Richie Waters, right? So his dad's funding his program. He goes and drives for Richie Waters. He ends up, Richie taps me because I'm in Hanky's shop building a new late model. Um, out of his back, you know, out of the back of his shop, out of Robert's shop. And um, Richie walks up and says, hey, uh, I got a kid who's coming to pay to drive my cars. Would you mind coming to test them with us, driving the cars, shaking them down? I'm like, man, I've heard this before. Well, guess what? It was Will Gallagher again. Well, I go do that a couple more times that year, and Will ends up getting in uh, a nasty wreck here or there, um, decides he's done racing. So now this is 20, this 2014, and um, he, he quits racing. He's going to move back to California. Well, I get a phone call middle of the summer at the time my wife was running k and her, her career is on the up and up 
I'm in uh, Langley, Virginia, helping her. Yeah, tell her and, who uh, your wife is. She she had a great yeah, career. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she did. Yeah, so yeah, my wife was was you know her maiden name was Rustin, so Kenzie Rustin. Um, you know, and just timing wise, things didn't work out for her. But at the time, you know, she, her career was well past and beyond mine. Anything I could ever think about getting to. And um, I mean, Langley, Virginia, helping work on her cars and just being there. And I get a phone call from this random number out of California, and it's that Bill Gallagher again. And um, he said, hey, he says, my son Will's done racing. And uh, he said, does anybody I want to help in the sport that you're the guy? And he tells me what you've been doing for him and helps them out. He says, I'm about to change your life. And I literally, you know, <laughs> everybody listening to the show, you know, we just finished our banquet for the Xfinity Series Championship at Nashville, and I made sure to tell the same story. When he calls and tells me he's going to change my life, I just could have never imagined what that meant. And that was the big catapult to get me into the NASCAR rank at a full-time basis. I had a bartender in New Orleans tell me that one time. <laughs> <laughs> so I want you because I I don't I need to hear this story. I need to hear it. Yep. But I, so give us a brief. Then we're going to go to a break in a couple minutes. But who is Bill Gallagher? I don't. I mean, it, when you first said his name, I'm thinking you're saying Gallagher. I'm thinking GMS. But that, this is not who nope. that is at all. Nope. Yeah. Well, yeah. One's a G. One's an H. Yeah. Okay. This is a yeah. Bill Gallagher. He um he's a successful builder out of uh, Sonoma County there in California. And, um, I told you the story of his kids wanting to race and, yeah. and kind of not, not, you know, coming to fruition with the dream. And here he is as a successful business owner and his son tells him about me and he wants to, you know, as I say, he wants to, I got to make a, I got to make him want to invest in my career. And I've never been in that spot. I go out there and, um, spend some time with him and his wife walking their property. And at the end of the deal, he tells me that he's going to, he's going to do just that. He's going to invest in my, in my, in my career. And, um, yeah. Hey, stop is, stop right there. I, I don't want to get it started. We're going to take a break, and I want to hear the whole thing. You're walking the property. Right. We're going to come back. We're going to come back. Property. We're going to talk. Sonoma County. Big time racing all the way to the checkered flag in Phoenix. What do you think about that? Yeah. You're listening to it. Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. If you're having trouble finding a unique gift for that race fan on your Christmas list, check out SpeedSportsStore.com. There you'll find vintage-style T-shirts in all sizes, poster-sized cover art from the magazine, collectibles you won't find anywhere else, and much more. The quality merchandise is hand-selected and carefully designed to reflect the values and style of the SpeedSport brand. For the holidays, get 20% off purchases of $25 or more. Surprise the race fan you know with something unique from SpeedSportsStore.com. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Today's guest from Kannapolis, North Carolina, your 2021 NASCAR Xfinity Series champion, Daniel Hemrick. And once again, high atop the pit box inside the Crosley Speed Sports Studios, here's Mike Wallace. Daniel, you got me really excited. Um, Mr. Gallagher, who has told you in a previous call he's going to change your life, you're at yep. their residence out in California. Take it from there because... You've had an incredibly cool life the last few years. Yeah, it's been incredible for sure. Yeah, I'll never forget walking their property. Beautiful, couple hundred acres top of this mountain, um, there in Sonoma County and Santa Rosa to be exact. And uh, My, that's right. Property. A buddy of mine drove the Biaggi brothers are one Daytona from Santa Rosa. Oh, I didn't beautiful know that. area. Oh wow, beautiful area. Yep. So here we are walking their property, and and you know Bill's kind of put me to the ringer on questions about you know kind of the model of our sport, how can an investment make sense, and and whatnot getting his land scheme you know the grand scheme of what what is our sport and um he said that's fine i can tell him all the answers but his wife is the one who's got to make the decision so here i am 
uh, Bill's walking behind us, and me and his wife, Miss Cindy, I call her. We're we're out, you know, a couple couple steps in front of him. We're just chatting, and she's asking me a lot of the same things we're talking about, my life story and how I got to where I'm at. And we get back to their house, and the whole time, you're right, internally, my gut, I know my future of racing you know, sits in their hands. And um, he tells me after discussion that they decided that they're going to do just that. They're, they're going to they're going to jump on board and help me. And, and I say help me, you know, they're going to invest and, and sponsor what is next for me. Um, you know, prior to that walk, I, you know, he had put me in a truck for the season finale event at Homestead in 2014. My only mile and a half truck start um, that I ever ran was there. It's my third truck race, and here I am at Homestead, and then walk this property. And so he said he's going to do it, and I'm like, well, what does that mean? He's like, well, we got to find you a truck to run next year. And here we are, you know, Homestead just ended. Guys already got their deals done, right? Um, and and what was available was uh, a ride there at NTS Motorsports, who those that don't know, they're based. They were based out of Kernersville. They're no longer a team, but um, they were out of Kevin Harvick's old shop, and he had his whole program running. And um, yeah, Bob Newberry owned the team, and he he needed a driver, and um, Gallagher was willing to be a sponsor, and um, off we went with we NTS and started negotiating a deal that put me on on the map full time in the trucks in 2015. So, Mr. Gallagher or Mrs. Gallagher are, are your sponsors, basically. They're they're they're. Not just your sponsors; they're they're solely supported behind your your personal efforts to succeed. Correct, correct. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not gonna lie to you, right? It's an investment they made, and, and anything an investment, right? You you won't return. And um, the model has changed for sure since we've done our deal in 2015. But um, you know, they've stayed; they've been unwavered for their support for me, right? And that's that's kept me going through the tough times. And uh, but yeah, that, that started with uh with them being committed for that first full truck deal in 2015. Man, uh, congratulations! You you certainly must have made an impression on them early on, and with their son, or really impressed their son on helping him in his racing form to, to buy into your future. <laughs> well, I don't know about all that, but I'm definitely thankful. Um, would not, no way, shape, or form be where I'm at without them. So it's been everything to me. Well, cool. So you had that first ride there with the NTS, or you know, the first full year you yep. you got them. And what was the sponsor on that truck at that time? What was the name yeah, on the side? So yeah, at that time he was trying to develop a little company called California Clean Power, so that's what he chose to put on the truck. Um, and I don't think it, it never really took off as far from a from a product standpoint. But um, it's funny because you know it puts you full time around these people you need to be around, right, to progress in our sport. And um, you know what happened following 2015, I went to 2016 and had a chance to then go drive for Brad Keselowski, right? And now this is a huge turning point because I firmly believe the reason I got that call to come drive for Brad is because I'd been winning late model races that he, is, he had attended, you know, five years prior to this. And um, every time he was at the track, I'd win, and he'd come at, heck, one of the races he sponsored, the actual event. So he presents the trophy, and uh, he says, man, you're making a habit of winning when I'm around. So I think being around those guys all in 2015, running that first year of trucks, um, he had an opening on his truck deal in 2016. And now Mr. Gallagher's um, need of sponsorship and investment was less. And... Um, yeah, Brad had his own sponsors, uh, you know, behind his team that could step up and fulfill the rest, and and that's what they did. That was a that was a huge break to put me in a big time spot, right? NTS, we were trying to cut and claw in 2015. Well, now you're going to draft Keselowski, a proven race winning, you know, contending team. Um, that was huge for my career. So as you drive for Keselowski, is as he was a champion himself, or is in all his years at Penske and now changing this year i mean did you learn anything new over there at keselowski's that you didn't already know or have the background on as far as yeah how to win or have a better program or anything like that 
No, Mike, that's a great question, man. I think you can relate to this, and any any racer can relate to this. You know, we talked about in the early years of maybe doing more than what was there, and not that you can't at this level, but that time frame for me from 2015 with that smaller team in NTS to 2016, the first eye-opening thing was was how important the vehicle was. Um, you know, I feel like I've been able to do it with less all the way through my career. Yet you know, my first lap, I turned at a mile and a half in Keselowski's truck. I realized, wow. This is a big difference than what I've driven before. You know, it makes sense what I'm saying? Sure, sure. I, old, I yeah. had that experience one year at Penske Racing for eight races. I drove my whole career and got that thing, and I thought I was a superstar, man. It was like 100%. <laughs> exactly. That, well, that's what I'm getting at. So, I went to driving yeah. school, with, you know, it was great. Yeah, for sure. It almost, almost pissed you off. You realize what you've been racing against. But no, I'll tell <laughs> I'm you, glad you said I, that uh... because that's the way I felt for many of my years yeah, <laughs> after yeah, exactly. that experience. Exactly. No, I so thought it was you. I thought it was your lack of talent. No, it was the yeah. equipment. Well, see? you know, I normally wouldn't do this <laughs> on the show, but I got a good friend in the studio with us, Mike Keller. And Mike was around me through all those struggles in my early career. And uh, then I hopped in that Penske car, and holy shit, I drove by Jeff Gordon for the lead. <laughs> lead at Martinsville, run second at Phoenix. It's like, yep. wow. Something clicked, huh? Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I got really good quick. Yeah. <laughs> Just 100%. happened to be the car and team I was driving for. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you. No, so I mean that was big, right? So you asked what I learned from, and it was, you know, I learned that I learned how to handle that because you're not always going to be in the best stuff, and um, and even though I was in some of the best stuff that year, I didn't, you know, I, in my opinion, I didn't reach the full potential, and um, yeah, I mean that ate at me, and it ate at me all the way up until you know I won this Xfinity Series race of Phoenix. But I'll tell you, you know, learning the dynamic of how crucial your people were, you know, Brad had a uncanny ability to hire people. Uh, Jeremy Thompson ran our program, who's now actually just recently went back to went to Roush to help Keselowski run that program. Um, but Jeremy, Jeremy from Brad's direction, Brad was incredible at letting the people he hired do their jobs. And I, that went very far with me because as you progress in my role now in our sport and have a full, few employees of my own, it's allowed me to have some of the similar, uh, at least I like to think some of the similar aspects of how I go about business and you hire these folks, to let them do their jobs. And I think that was a very important life role for me to take from Keselowski and do a business with them. Keselowski is kind of, and again, this shows about you, but Keselowski is kind of a unique guy. He, he's really a good business guy, isn't he? Very, very much so. Very savvy. And, um, yeah, he's just, he's got a, got a way of understanding how things work. If he doesn't, he immerses himself to figure out how it works. And uh, I respect the heck out of that. Oh, great. So you drive for Keselowski, and we move on from there. And we've got to fast forward because we only got about seven minutes left in this whole oh. show. It's went so fast. But uh, <laughs> so from Keselowski's, let's fast forward a little bit. Tell us where you went and. Yeah, yeah, Keselowski's uh, end up at RCR in Xfinity car, right? Um, second highest level of sport, driving for famous Richard Childress and uh, his entire team there at RCR. And okay, um, so man. I said hurry up, but I got to back you up. So how did <laughs> you end up at RCR? How did you get that opportunity? Did you take a? Did they call yep. you? Did you take a deal there or both? Yeah, a little bit of both. Um, actually, Keselowski talked me about running the Penske 22 car um, on the Xfinity side. If you think back though, in 20 uh, that been 2016, Penske could hardly run top five with cup drivers in their Xfinity car. And uh, him and I had a tough conversation and uh, between myself and him and uh, Jeremy Thompson, uh, he said, man, you know, this is a career move, but we can't even win them on the cup level. Like, you know, and the cup drivers can't win on them. How am I supposed to, tell you to make a career move to go get something that's not capable of doing it right now? Um, and that kind of persuaded me the RCR route. And that's what made my decision for me was, all right, Richard's, uh, Richard's willing to invest in my career. Um, I had some support from Gallagher's, uh, that year they had a blue gate bank on a car and, um, yeah, they jumped on board Gallagher up his investment and 
off to the Xfinity series we go. All right. So you drive, you drive for Richard, you have just, you're in an Xfinity series car for him. Then, then you get in a cup car, don't you? Yeah. He ran 17 and 18 Xfinity series car. And in between there, uh, Gallagher, you know, the investment was high, right. For him, for the Xfinity side, um, South Point Hotel and Casino, the Gone Family Jump On was sponsored by 2018 Xfinity program. That kind of keeps my career going another year. And uh, Newman decides that he's leaving RCR. Well, here I am. Uh, you know, we were fortunate to make the championship for both years in 17 and 18 uh, on the Xfinity side for Richard. And uh, Richard calls me up and says, "Hey, he says Newman's not going to be here, and I need I need you to step up and, and get my Cup car." And he's like, "Well, you know, we got the sponsorship. We have Caterpillar and a ton of other folks that you know we ain't got to worry about on your side." He's like. I need you to come be my driver on the Cup Series, and that's what that's what got me at that level. What? What? Seriously, now, I, what? What did you think or feel or emotion when you got that phone call or that in-person oh, deal? I mean, what? After everything you went through, I, you know, Bill, and you've had a great career all the way through. I mean, it's wonderful. And but when he said, "I want you to drive my Cup car," and it's really not relying on sponsorship, how how, <laughs> how cool was that? Or how different was that? What was that about? Well, I can tell you the tough part was I had another contract to go drive for another team sitting there. All I do is sign it. And loyalty-wise, when Richard called me, he, he knew what was going on in the background. And when he made that call, I'm like, man, he's, he's went to bat for me the first two years. Here, this guy's asking me to drive his cup car. I mean, cup car. Can, can we, you know how special that is? You oh, know yeah, it. yeah. That's why I'm and, asking uh, you that. It's, I'll tell you, it was, it was uh, you know, I, I cried like a little baby. I ain't going to lie to you. I did. I just could not believe, you know, what somebody's about to do for me and my family. Cause when you get to that level, you know how it is. It, it truly changes you and your family's entire legacy. And um, yeah, that was, it was special to get that and to be able to go experience that. All right. We're closing. Well, 2019 must've been a great year though, because you won the NASCAR cup series rookie Negative. Of the year, correct? <laughs> Negative. <laughs> Negative. It was not a good very, year. It was a tumultuous year. It was <laughs> probably the hardest year of my career. Um, yeah. And I've, I've been very frank in saying that I've had the, rebuild my career to this current day and uh for the first time I feel like i'm doing that and um but yeah we, yeah, we, we achieved the goal of rookie of the year by no means uh did what we want to do as a race team and gotcha. um that's why i'm on the rebuild well i think you've rebuilt it pretty well so you were driving a cup car for uh richard childress and you had a tough year in that rookie year following year was what following years i ended up being part-time i lost my deal at the end of 20 uh, 2019 on the cup side. I ended up, the only thing left was a part-time opportunity at JRM. Uh, Gallagher's, you know, because they weren't involved in the cup side, really, other than one race. Uh, they jumped on board, kept me in the sport part-time basis, and came to me uh, at the end of my tenure there with JRM on that part-time side and said, hey, um, we're probably, we're in this for one more year. Well, what do you want to do? What, what can you make the biggest mark of your career? I signed my deal with Joe Gibbs Racing, knowing I was giving myself the best opportunity and best equipment possible. Um, it had an expiration date from the time I signed it. Um, it was either going to be the end of my career 365 days later or my career was going to continue because I've done enough to get a phone call. Luckily, I got that phone call from that colleague. Well, that's incredible, and we, we want to jump into that, but did the emotion going into Phoenix for you, you, you you've been through the ranks. You've run a lot of things. You're, you're not winning a lot of races up to this point Correct. in the 21, right? You're, you're there. You're a contender. But now it's all all the marbles are on the table, isn't that the way they'd say it, Jeff? Everything's laid that is out the way there. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> and you step up on the last lap, on the last corner, I believe, if, if correct me if I'm saying anything wrong, and you win the race, and it wins a championship, and now your career's changed. Yeah, without a doubt. Over, yeah. over, over a span of a couple hundred feet, 
pretty uh, wild to uh, think about, to be honest with you. So when you lined up at Phoenix that day, did you think, hey, there's a chance I, if, if I win this race, I could win the championship? I mean, was that the, the mindset? Um, for me, there was no other option. Um, I was playing with house money, you know, best guy of four guys. Hell, that's the best odds you get all year. Um, somebody's gonna win the championship out of you and three other guys. And, um, knowing the, the past history of the car I was driving, the team I was driving for, um, I had nothing to lose. If, if I, if I crash trying to win this thing and, and finish dead last in the race, I'm gonna finish fourth in championship. Or if I figure it out, I have a chance to have a chance to change the path of my entire life and career. And, um, I'm glad the latter worked out. All right, one final big question because everybody I know that I told you were going to be on this show, they says we got to know why did he leave Joe Gibbs Racing? Why did he go to Colic? And that's a question. Why did you go to yeah. Colic? And uh, you're going there as a champion, so that's really cool. Yeah, that's very simple. Um, I told you when uh, the Gallagher's jumped back behind me in 2020 on a part-time basis, um, and then Poppy Bank, you know, with the Gallagher's, they stepped up and gave me one more shot. You know, they were in for one more year. Um, Heck, four months before the end of Phoenix, I'm sitting there trying to figure out if I'm going to go back and build legend cars to do what. Oh, wow. And, You're under pressure here. I, I, now, yeah. Okay, now I'm understanding the story better. So so when I say my, my career, my contract at JGR had expiration date, that's what I mean. They sign on the sponsor one year. And without that sponsorship, you're not going to race, right? So right. They're, they're on for one year. This is your shot. If your phone don't ring, you're done. And um, that's why I say when, when Matt Colley called me, it was before I'd won a championship first off, but he said he believed in me, himself and Chris Rice believed in me to – come and do a job for them um, in 2022. And then to go win with JGR and go out, that's why I say I had nothing left to lose. Um, but that's why the move had to happen. Well, Daniel Hembrick, I can just say congratulations, man. What a, what a story. We've had a great time listening to your career. Those Jeff are Kent, great, what those do you are think? great stories. And the best of luck to you, my man, in the future because it looks pretty bright and you're still a young guy. So congratulations. Yeah. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.